Thanks for tuning in. I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. And you're listening to The Creepy Barito. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> facts guess what i learned this week what did you learn this week so burrito means little donkey so no it doesn't yes it does no it doesn't so we are the creepy creepy jackass (laughs) funny right because i was trying to come up with uh what a group of burritos would be called Burrito. I could not find an answer, but I found out that burrito means little donkey. But yeah, I like burrito better than fucking. I do not like the burrito hive. Is that what it was? I think it's funny. I hate it. Just a hive of little working burritos. No. Nope. Regurgitating to make enchilada sauce. <laughs> Before we jump into uh, our episode, we got some. Sweet ass reviews that we need to uh, shout out. Hell yeah. Our first review comes from Jamie, who says, My husband and I love listening to The Creepy Burrito, as they provide us great tales of mystery served with facts and compassion for those the stories are about. Great dinner conversation. Thank you, Creepy Burrito. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, Jamie. Thank you. Shout out to our second review on iTunes to Dill Baby Dill Pickle. Hell yeah, gave us five stars. And the title is Spooky Beaches. He said, we're loving this podcast. We love listening to their eerie stories, creepy tales, and most of all, they're so funny. Give them all the love and listen to the podcast. Trust me, if you don't, they'll put a spell on you. Because we are hex girls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He didn't say we're hex girls, but he gave us hearts and stuff. We heart you too. Dill baby, dill pickle. So, if you want to be cool like Dill and Jamie, then write us a fucking review. You can do so on iTunes or Facebook and we'll fucking shout you out. Hell yeah. And a special hell yeah to our burrito that are across the great big blue. I'm looking at you, Finland. Hell yeah. What's up, Germany? Hell yeah. I see you, Iceland. Hell yeah. And don't forget about Australia. Hell yeah. So, Renee, what the fuck are you going to tell me about today? Well... I'm going to tell you about the Winchester Mystery House. Ooh, I love a good mystery. The Winchester Mystery House is a mansion located in San Jose, California. It is a Queen Anne-style Victorian mansion, and it is a designated California historical landmark, even listed on the National Register of Historic Places. But for why? 
for? Why? Tell me. Please. Tell me why he ain't nothing but a hiding. Tell me why he... Okay. Sorry. Had to get that out. <clears throat> Could it be for its vast size, its architectural oddities, or its lack of any master building plan? Or... Could it be something more mysterious? How did this house come to be? To find the answer to this question, we're going to have to go back in time a little bit. The year was 1862 in New Haven, Connecticut. William Wirt Winchester married the love of his life, Sarah Lockwood Party. Now, Sarah was a shy and reserved 22-year-old, born to an upper-class family. Her father, Leonard Party was a successful carpenter known for bringing the Victorian architectural design to the region. William Winchester was the only son of Oliver Winchester, the owner of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Now, if you're not familiar with the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, they were the first to mass-produce firearms with the ability to fire multiple rounds without reloading. The model 1873 was particularly successful. Being incredibly popular with the settlers and was widely used during the American Indian Wars, the rifle became known as the gun that won the West and sold more than 700,000 rifles from that year of 1873 through 1916. So you can kind of say the Winchesters were a big deal. After William and Sarah were married, they lived in happily wedded bliss together as William worked as treasurer for his family's other company, Winchester's and Davies Shirt Factory, well on his way to running the company. Now, as a wedding present, William's father promised to have a new home constructed for the newlyweds. However, William and Sarah were married during the height of the Civil War, which made it hard to get the materials needed to actually build a house. So William and Sarah moved into his parents' home while waiting for their new home to be finished. Sarah very much enjoyed being a part of her new family. It was exciting and different from the same old house that she lived in her entire life with her parents and six other siblings. She seemed to come out of her shell a little bit. Life was perfect. So you think. Until. Until. Until 1864, when William's sister Annie died abruptly while giving birth to her third child. The Winchesters were devastated, Sarah included. She had become so close with her new family and wondered how they could ever get over such a loss. But a year later, Sarah found out she was pregnant. William was overjoyed, but feared for his wife's safety after what had happened with his sister. However, Sarah's pregnancy was surprisingly pleasant. As I mentioned earlier, Sarah was reserved and the social events that her new aristocratic family took part in caused her anxiety. So, Sarah, although brimming with excitement over expecting her first child, also welcomed the pregnancy as a good excuse to indulge in her homebody ways. Mm, lay on that couch, girl. Eat some fucking ice cream. Oh, yeah. So, Sarah spent her time in the comfort of the Winchester home, studying interior design, construction management, real estate investment, and financial strategy. This wasn't out of the ordinary for Sarah. She was always interested in things that others would find peculiar. Sarah was very bright. By the age of 12, she was fluent in Latin, French, Spanish, and Italian. 
and demonstrated proficiency in musical composition, math, and science. She even attended the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute at Yale College. She admired clever and time-saving inventions and was particularly interested in her father's carpentry business. But unfortunately, being a woman kept her from pursuing this further than just being a hobby. On June 15th, 1866, Sarah gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. They named the child Annie Party Winchester in honor of William's late sister. They brought Annie home, ready to give her the world. The family finally had something to help them heal. Unfortunately, Mm. the Winchester's joy would be short-lived. Only 40 days after her birth, young Annie died on July 25th, 1866 of Merasmus. Of what? Merasmus. (laughs) Yeah. It's a rare disease in which the body suffers from malnutrition due to an inability to metabolize proteins. So basically, no matter what William and Sarah tried to feed Annie, and no matter how much she ate, she was starving to death. Oh, yeah. That's so sad. Mm hmm. Sarah never quite recovered from the death of her infant daughter, and in 1866, not much was known about Merasmus. So the doctors really couldn't give many answers as to Annie's death. It was a mystery, basically. A black cloud that Sarah carried with her for the rest of her life. Though she and William remained married, they never had another child. Afterwards, Sarah became more reclusive. William dealt with his grief by burying himself in his work. His father's aggressive investments in their firearms business forced William to actually relinquish his position at the clothing factory and take on a leading role in the rifle industry. Now, over the years... Accounts say that Sarah became increasingly troubled, often over the source of the company's wealth. In her eyes, the Winchester family business profited from death, and she had a hard time justifying that. In 1868, the construction on William and Sarah's new home was finally completed, and they moved into their new mansion. Sarah hoped that this would be a new chapter in their lives and that they can put their pain behind them. However, quite literally behind them was the rifle factory. The land that their house was built on overlooked the Winchester Repeating Arms Factory. So, Sarah's animosity for her husband's new job increased day by day every time she looked out that window. What at first seemed like a promising new start for the young couple had quickly turned sour. The Winchester Repeating Arms Company began to focus their global sales, and William was sent overseas to help push the product. The separation from her husband proved extremely difficult for her, but she continued to be supportive. To further complicate matters, her father's health was also starting to decline as William's work continued to keep him away, sometimes for days on end. In June of 1869, Sarah's father, Leonard, finally passed away after a lengthy paralysis with spinal disease. By 1880, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company was doing incredibly well. They had a net worth of $3 million, which would be about $75 million today. William and Sarah decided to splurge a little bit, you know, treat yourself, and they built a new home. They spent their days brainstorming ideas and taking a particular interest in the customization of their home. It was something that they bonded on and helped them become even closer. 
maybe this would finally be the new start Sarah had been hoping for. Probably not. But unfortunately, Mm. it wasn't long before their lives were derailed again. Only a few months after building their new home, Sarah's mother died in May of 1880. And before they could even process that, William's father died in December of that same year. When Oliver Winchester passed away, he left the company in the hands of his only son. William literally inherited a fortune. But to Sarah, not only did her beloved mother and father-in-law pass away, now the company that she has grown to hate and its blood money is now the responsibility of the man she loves. But as the pattern goes, there wasn't much time before another tragedy struck. Yikes. And unfortunately, I feel like I keep saying unfortunately, but it's all fucking unfortunate. <laughs> I like it though. It, it gives me, it gets me ready. For the... A point um, three second foreshadowing of what's going to happen. <laughs> yes. I need to, like, take my deep breath in and then uh, feel the emotions that you make me feel. <laughs> so, three months after William's father passed, William himself suddenly fell ill and died from tuberculosis at the age of 43. Oh, fuck. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that yeah. moment. So... Ugh. To say Sarah was devastated was an understatement. They had known each other since childhood and always depended on one another to be there when times were hard. But now Sarah was alone. Alone and one of the richest widows in America. Or she's cursed. She's definitely cursed. When William died, he left everything to Sarah, which meant now she had a 50% stake in the Winchester Arms Company. Suddenly, she was in possession of a $20 million fortune, which is the equivalent to about a $530 million fortune Mm. in present day. Her stake also gave her a continuous income of $1,000 a day, which is equivalent to about $26,000 a day. Mm. Could you imagine? Which I would just kill for $1,000 a day. Right? Like, the shit that you could buy on Amazon with that money. I buy shit on Amazon with money that i don't even have right now (laughs) so having that money would be great (laughs) you just buy amazon actually yeah (laughs) i buy so much shit from amazon i should be i should have a stake in the company anyway in such a short period of time sarah winchester lost so many who were close to her she had lost her sister-in-law her first and only child her father her mother her father-in-law and finally her husband A tragedy which is sure to drive anyone to the brink of insanity or cause a mental breakdown. Grief-stricken Sarah fled to one of the family's beach houses. She wanted to be alone and have time to herself to heal. It's at this point where Sarah decided to make her reclusive getaway into something more. We're not sure if it was because Sarah yearned for something better than just a beachfront getaway or if that she was answering a spiritual calling elsewhere. Either way, Sarah stepped out of her comfort zone and decided to spend some time overseas. She actually ended up staying abroad for a few years, mostly in the United Kingdom. Some people speculate that Sarah didn't anticipate being away for as long as she did, that she was simply caught up in being surrounded by the Victorian architecture, something that would have reminded her of her father. Sarah finally returned home in 1884, ready to put the tragedy behind her. But unfortunately, Mm, unfortunately, not long after her return, her eldest sister Mary passed away. 
This is when Sarah decided to turn to the unconventional to get answers. Perhaps the death of Sarah's sister inspired her to search for answers or see if there was a message from the great beyond. Or perhaps she simply missed her family and wanted to have another chance to speak with them again. Either way, Sarah traveled to Boston to seek the help of a medium. Now, it might seem weird that Sarah went to go see a psychic, but actually, during this era, seances and such were a very common practice and actually probably more socially acceptable than it is today. Back then, it wasn't taboo. Going to see a medium simply implied that you had a faith that there was an afterlife. When Sarah saw the medium, she shared her guilt over the numerous victims of Winchester guns and asked him for guidance as to what to do with the money that she inherited. It was then the medium told her that her husband was present and that he had a very important message for her. The medium advised that William said that the Winchester family was cursed, that the loss of loved ones in such quick succession had been caused by the angry spirits that met their untimely deaths by the Winchester rifles. According to the medium, William warned that the spirits were after Sarah too, and that the only thing to keep the spirits at bay was to flee to the West Coast and build a house to appease them. Smart. But if construction ever stopped, Sarah would be tormented and meet her end as well. What the fuck? Yeah, so basically this... Uh, Dude was like, yeah, you gotta move out west, uh, build a big house for all these people, because there's a lot of people that died, so build a giant house. Uh, never stop, because then they'll get mad and kill you. Like, why yeah. would the spirits give a shit if there was a house? That's mm. uh, that's kind of weird. I know. Okay. But shortly after receiving this message from the medium and not one to risk internal damnation, Sarah packed up her things and made her way out west, moving as far as she could from New England to California. In 1884, Sarah Winchester purchased an unfinished farmhouse in the Santa Clara Valley. The farmhouse sat on 45 acres of land, had eight bedrooms, and was only one story tall. Even though the house was quite modest in comparison to Sarah's last home, it served as the perfect foundation to enable her new obsession. Sarah wasted no time and started with modifications right away. Sarah had big plans for her new home. With her studies in interior design and construction management, she was ready to turn this home into a piece of art. Instead of hiring an architect, she enlisted the services of a team of carpenters and directed them to build onto the farmhouse as she saw fit. Allegedly, Sarah had actually hired two different architects at first, but ended up firing them because they didn't share her ambition for the home and shot down her ideas and plans for the construction. Sarah first had her team start by building the second floor of the house. She had them build a series of apartments, so that way the family that she left back home had a place to stay when they visited her. She drew inspiration for the interior design from the time she spent overseas. She used German light fixtures, English wallpaper, French artwork, Swiss molded bathtubs, rare precious woods such as mahogany and rosewood, and a variety of moldings and stenciled ceilings. She had a team working around the clock to construct the house, day and night, weekends and holidays. Between 1890 and 1900, 
the house rose to a seven-story elaborate mansion. Even then, Sarah never ceased construction on the mansion, continuously making additions and adjustments for the sake of its spectral inhabitants. She added a conservatory, a carriage room, two grand ballrooms, a Venetian dining room, and many, many stained glass windows that actually were created by the Pacific American Decorative Company, some even specifically designed just for her. Also, a fun fact, Sarah had a window personally designed for her by Louis Comfort Tiffany of Tiffany and Company. He was the Tiffany in Tiffany and Company. The design was that when the sunlight would strike through the prismatic crystals, a rainbow would be cast across the room. However, the window was installed in a wall in a room with no light exposure. So it prevented the effect from ever being seen. The home also had the most advanced technology money could buy at the time, including forced air central heating, hot running water, modern indoor toilets and plumbing, and push-button gas lights. While that might sound slightly old school, many other houses at the time were illuminated by either candles or paraffin oil. So to light up a room by pressing a button was literally wizardry. Sarah also improvised her own invention that her servants can find her at any given time in her house. It was called the Annunciator. It was almost like a mail chute that was installed in every room or close to every room. Where that if Sarah needed help from a servant, she pressed a button and a card would drop down the board announcing her location. And the card then, no matter which room in the house she was in, would travel down to the master board located in the staff quarters. And then the servant would answer the call. Her cars were also retrofitted with their own version of the Annunciator, uh, which was a call tube. This way, Sarah could communicate with her driver at any given time. Another design feature that Sarah included was that she had the house built on a floating foundation, which allows the house to shift freely because it's not attached to a brick base in case of an earthquake, which is exactly what happened in 1906. Yikes. A 7.9 magnitude earthquake hit, causing more than 700 people to lose their lives and left over 225,000 people reportedly homeless. The earthquake caused the seven-story tower in Sarah's mansion to fall, and several chimneys fell as well. The fifth and sixth floors also collapsed onto the fourth floor, since they were not built as securely. However, the rest of the mansion stayed completely intact. It was the floating foundation that is believed to have saved the house from total collapse. And again, another fun fact for you. So, apparently Sarah slept in a different room every night as to confuse the spirits of her whereabouts. So when the earthquake was over, her servants immediately ran frantic around the house to find Sarah, who was 67 at the time. And it wasn't until hours later that they found her trapped in a room and they had to dig her out. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, There were also three elevators in the house, including one of which that was powered by a rare horizontal hydraulic elevator piston. Most elevator pistons are vertical to save space, but Sarah preferred the improved functionality of the horizontal configuration. She also added several unusual touches like hidden passageways, secret hideouts, and spy holes. She also added 
a seance room. The seance room was constructed in the middle of the house. Allegedly, prior to going into her seance room, Sarah would walk through a bunch of rooms and hallways until finally she would feel as if she successfully lost or tricked the spirits that were hightailing her to the seance room. Shit like walking into a room and opening a window and then going outside and then like walking down some more stairs and then crawling back inside through another window. And she would do this every night. There was even a closet door in the seance room that would open right above the kitchen sink. No floor, just a drop. What? Yeah. So according to local legend, Sarah invited spiritualists to her seance room to make contact with her husband to get advice on what she could do to appease the angry spirits, like what she should construct, modify, or halt. She didn't want the angry spirits following her into her seance room to talk to her husband, so she tried to, like, lose them by going through all these rooms and confusing them and then going into the seance room so it's just her husband she's making contact with and nobody else comes through. Mm, Okay. I I get her logic. I just don't... I don't think it's logical, though. I mean... Right. But uh, after a seance, she would meet with the construction team in the morning and go over the plans for the day. If the angry spirits had told her to stop construction on a room and to tear it down, then that's exactly what she would do. Even if her employees had been working on it for weeks or months. For example, Sarah had her main cupola of the house taken down and rebuilt 16 times before she or the spirits were finally satisfied. Because of Sarah's different construction plans for each day, there was no blueprint. Rooms were just built piece by piece wherever Sarah requested. And this led to a lot of insensible designs in labyrinths of hallways. The house literally became one giant maze. There were staircases that led to ceilings, windows that opened into other interior rooms, doors that opened to walls, rooms with smaller rooms inside of them, hallways that appeared to go nowhere before circling back onto themselves, and even doors that abruptly opened outside to a several-story drop. At times, she would even tell her team to stop working on a room and to board it up and to start on another. Luckily for Sarah, she pretty much had an endless supply of money. She had no problem dishing out the cash to accommodate all of her crazy plans. In fact, Sarah was reportedly a very generous boss. She was known for paying her workers an unusually high rate, basically double of what anyone else at the time would pay. And not only did she pay her countless construction workers double, she also had 18 servants and 20 gardeners that she paid double also. Sarah was unusually close with all of her staff and treated them like family, making sure that they lived in comfort. She even reportedly bought some of her employees' homes so they could be closer to her home for work. This led to her staff's unquestioning loyalty. They never spoke a word to anyone of the happenings inside of the house and declined to speak with any journalists. Now, when that earthquake hit in 1906, Sarah only made minimum repairs to the house and eventually just boarded up the collapsed levels rather than repairing them. This in itself started the rumor mill to churn. She had worked nonstop on the construction before and seemed to bear no expense. Why would she stop now? Did she finally snap? Or was it a clever loophole that Sarah found? Construction on her home could never stop or else Sarah would meet her untimely fate. So if Uh. part of the house that was under construction to repair the damages from the earthquake 
was simply just boarded up, then her house would technically always be under construction, right? Rumors and accusations like this spread like wildfire. Sarah herself stayed away from the outside world. She very rarely ever left her house and declined all requests to be interviewed. She actually planted large shrubbery around the property of her home, so while she was out walking the grounds, no one could see her. Which, of course, made people talk even more and come up with their own assumptions about Sarah. The general public thought her to be mad with grief or superstitious. But be it either mentally ill or fearful of the great beyond, Sarah never stopped construction on her home until the day she died. At the age of 83, Sarah passed away in her sleep inside of the mansion that she built on September 5th, 1922 from congestive heart failure. Shortly after Sarah's death, her staff was dismissed, but continued their loyalty to their late boss and never spoke publicly about Sarah. All of her possessions, apart from the house, were bequeathed to her surviving family, but most left to her favorite niece, Daisy. Her niece then took everything she wanted and sold the rest in a private auction. It supposedly took six trucks working eight hours a day for six weeks to remove all of the furniture from the home. Jeez. Yeah. Now, Sarah made no mention of the mansion in her will, and appraisers considered the house to be worthless due to the damage caused by the earthquake and the unfinished design and just the impractical nature of its construction. In 1922, it was put up for auction and was sold to a local investor for about $135,000, even though Sarah spent well over $5 million <gasps> building the home. Mm -hmm. It was then leased to John Brown in February of 1923, and only five months after Sarah's death, the house was open to the public, with Mamie Brown, John's wife, serving as a tour guide. John Brown worked at an amusement park, and him and his wife definitely played up the allure of the home, leaning hard on the rumors of the home being haunted. It was basically just another amusement park attraction. During the tours, Mamie would talk about the spirit that would roam the halls looking for Sarah Winchester. Pretty soon, people from all over the world started to take interest in this house. And it became such a popular tourist attraction that in 1963, it became fully incorporated with daily tours. Making such a profit that in 1970, they were able to restore some of the property, making it an official historical landmark in 1974. I got some numbers here for you. Mm, crunch them. Over the course of Sarah's life, the house spanned into 160 rooms. <gasps> what? Over 24,000 square feet, which for comparison is about a half a football field. Today, the 45 acres of land the house once sat on has now dwindled down to 4.5 acres. The rural area that the mansion was once tucked away in has now become very suburban and surrounded by business and shopping centers. Like it sticks out like a sore thumb. Today it's only four stories tall rather than seven because Sarah never reconstructed. However, it still contains over 10,000 panels of glass, Jeez. 950 doors, 52 skylights, 47 fireplaces, 40 stairways, 17 chimneys with evidence of two others, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, three elevators, two basement levels, and oddly enough, one shower. Wait, what? Yeah. You're fucking me. Nope. 
The furnishings that exist in the home today are donations or loans that reflect the time period. Because she was such a private person, no known interior photographs were taken, so the exact furnishings are a mystery. The only exception being a secret locked room that was found in 1975. Wait, no one found it for that long? Yeah, and it contained just two chairs and one photograph. Huh. Yeah. Part of the Winchester Mystery House tourism allure is supposedly no one knows how many rooms there are, but they speculate to be 160. Because first off, rooms were built inside of rooms. And it's such a maze in there that you honestly can get lost while counting them. No one's, like, gone in, like, Hansel and Gretel salad and just start throwing down bread? Nope. Jelly beans? I don't know. I think it's just part of the touristy kind of, hey, Sons of bitches. Yeah, how are you going to give me a tour if you get lost, you lying Well, they only take you through tours of certain parts of the house. They don't take you through the whole house. Oh, that's bullshit. Also, uh, supposedly another part of the allure or whatever that the people who own the Winchester Mystery House today Mm -hmm. is there is a wine cellar somewhere, but it's lost and they can't find it and they don't know how to get to it. (laughs) Currently, the home is owned by Winchester Investments, LLC, a privately held company representing the descendants of John and Mamie Brown. And you can still go on tours through the house today and learn about the restless spirits that roam the halls looking for Sarah. But if we dig a little deeper into Sarah's history, we might find that this story is not all what it seems. Maybe everything that I just read to you is fake as fuck. Probably. So, for instance, Mary uh, Mary Jo Ignacio wrote Sarah Winchester's biography. And when she wrote it, she could not find any records stating that Sarah's encounter with a psychic before leaving to California ever really happened. Did she go cuckoo banana puffs? Is that what that is? <laughs> no. Supposedly, uh, the Boston medium Sarah saw was named Adam Kuntz. And after Mary Jo looked through the registry of psychics in Boston at the time, she found no such name. Now, it is possible that someone just recorded the name incorrectly, but it's more than likely that the alleged meeting where Sarah was informed about her family curse was simply just made up. Someone either made up a story or caught wind that Sarah had seen a psychic at one point or another and simply just embellished it. People were looking for any excuse they could to justify the old woman's behavior. Did she simply have a weird coping habit from her grief? Was she cursed or was she mad to begin with? In 1895, there was a newspaper article about Sarah and the writer wondered why she kept adding more rooms and towers to her already enormous mansion. He suggested that she must be superstitious and perhaps was afraid that she would die if the construction stopped. Also, keep in mind, this was during a time where news articles were pretty much copied verbatim from newspaper to newspaper. So say some publisher releases an article about Sarah's family curse and the spirits haunting her, it would be copied and printed in other publications. So at the time, it could be very easy to mistake such a outlandish made up story as the truth. But articles would call her superstitious and snobbish One of the most popular accusations was that Sarah was suffering from incredible guilt that came with her family's legacy, that Sarah could not stand that her family profited off of death. 
Now, it's very possible that Sarah felt this way. I mean, she did grow up in a progressive household, her father holding court with prominent abolitionists and free thinkers of the day. But during Sarah's lifetime, guns were seen as a means for survival and a household necessity. And it's very likely that Sarah shared the same point of view. It wasn't until about the 1920s that the public's view of firearms started to change. People started to view guns as a source of unnecessary violence. And this change in the public eye caused a lot of scorn towards gun toters, Sarah included. All of these rumors over time became intertwined with the rumor of the Winchester curse, and so became the folklore behind the Winchester Mystery House. Now, I'm not saying that she never saw a medium prior to her move to California. It's more believable to me, though, that Sarah simply just went to seek spiritual guidance and was recommended that she should move away from New Haven, where she was constantly reminded of all Mm. the loved ones that she lost. Perhaps the medium suggested to move out west, or perhaps Sarah was just following in the footsteps of many others. Sarah's move to California came at a time where thousands of people were packing up and settling out west. When the gold rush hit in 1848, a steady pace of pioneers had uprooted their lives and traveled by wagon to settle out there. And this is what inspired the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad. And after its completion in 1869, and it became more convenient to travel out west, more and more settlers jumped on that opportunity. People were flooding into the west, well into the 1880s. So it's not super strange that Sarah decided to pack up and move out there, especially given the craze at the time. Also, Sarah never actually reported being haunted. And after she passed and her home became a haunted tourist attraction, her friends were angry about it, claiming that the Browns simply just wanted to cash in on the rumors surrounding the home. John Brown was an amusement park and roller coaster designer. In fact, the haunted tales that you hear about the Winchester Mansion are from people working there today, like the Uh, tour guides. So it's not like anything that was given down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not saying that people don't have their own experiences there. And it's not saying that the house isn't haunted. But it's very possible that people claim to have experienced paranormal activity there, just simply due to confirmation bias people are more likely to report paranormal activity in a place that they already know or heard of is haunted. Which I get. It's like no shit. If they're going to a place that's haunted, they're going to experience things. But it also makes a person on high alert and Mm -hmm. claim paranormal whenever whatever they experience could be debunked by something easily. Sarah Winchester was a private person. So even if she was being haunted or experienced paranormal activity, she told no one not even her closest friends. But she did hold seances frequently, which again, during the time was pretty common and basically fashionable for upper-class women to do. Now, people's ideas of seances differ, but most can agree that if not done correctly, you can cause an attachment or even open a portal. With not much being known about the afterlife at the time and all that jazz, it could be possible that Sarah just inadvertently invited her home to spirits and they just never left. But if Sarah wasn't building this insane house to appease the spirits, then why did she do it? Well, she never told anyone why. So, I mean, all we can do is just speculate. 
The most popular of theories is that Sarah was simply mad with guilt and that the Winchester family profiting from death and violence was making her rich and also mad. But Mary Jo Ignacio, Sarah's biographer, claims that she never showed any remorse or guilt over the matter and never had any problem collecting her shares in the company. Another popular theory was that she was suffering from mental illness. This I can, I can get behind. More specifically, OCD. Mm, yep. Now, when people hear about the Winchester Mystery House, the story about the alleged family curse and the hauntings that come along with it, people tend to fall back on that Sarah was superstitious to explain the things that she did. However, if you take off the uh, ghostly veil and look a little closer, OCD actually explains a lot of what she did. Sarah clearly had an obsession with the continuous building on her home and even sometimes demanded things to be reconstructed multiple times because they weren't good enough. But she also had an obsession with the number 13, which people, again, chalk up to being superstitious. But she had 13 pane glass windows, 13 staircases, 13 bathrooms. Sarah's will was even divided into 13 parts, and she signed it 13 times. However, OCD habits can manifest as superstitious behavior. OCD compulsions are often unreasonable, and people suffering from them often get to a point where it takes over their lives. This could explain her constant construction or times where she would just board up rooms completely and move on. It's very well possible that she was superstitious, but combined with her OCD, it just added fuel to the fire. Nowadays, OCD is most commonly diagnosed in conjunction with someone who's suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. So the OCD compulsions are a coping mechanism to help people feel like they have more control over the outcome of their lives. So I think it's entirely possible that after losing all of her loved ones in such a short amount of time, Sarah developed PTSD and then suffered from OCD compulsion, hence the house. Now, we know that Sarah was suffering from loss, the tragedy of losing all of her loved ones is enough to cause anyone PTSD. So maybe she started building her house as a way to ease her thoughts about death, which then manifested into OCD, and all of the weird quirks that make the Winchester Mystery House was just an attempt Sarah made to control her surroundings. Another factor that makes this theory seem kind of more plausible is that Sarah was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. Now, rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic autoimmune disease that causes inflammation of the joints. But what not a lot of people know is that rheumatoid arthritis can also cause inflammation in the brain. Oh, there was actually a study conducted in 2013 that found that the brain regions associated with OCD had 32% more inflammation there than people who did not suffer from OCD, meaning that inflammatory autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis could be linked to OCD. Now, another point I would like to make here too is that people often talk about how strange the stairs were in the Winchester house that a flight of stairs that normally would have, I don't know, like 10 to 12 stairs would have over double the amount with each stair only being two inches higher than the other. These are what we call nowadays easy rider stairs. Sarah had this customization built 
because in her condition, it was hard for her to raise her feet. This way, when Sarah needed to climb her stairs, she only had to lift her feet two inches. Making it even more plausible that this is the reasoning behind the Winchester Mystery House. However, a hole in this story is that a carpenter worked on the home after the Browns purchase mm-hmm. and claimed that he added all of these 13 associated things after Sarah's death. That he helped to construct more bathrooms to equal 13, added more chandeliers to equal 13. This further confirms the theory that the Browns were and have simply been playing up the ghost and superstitious stories in order to sell tickets to their new haunted attraction, literally exploiting Sarah's life. But there is a third theory that I wanted to touch upon. It's not as popular, but it's interesting. Okay. So people speculate that there was an underlying reason why Sarah decided to stay so long overseas back in 1890. Because she became involved with a secret society called the Freemasons. Mm. Now, people say that the Winchester Mystery House is a giant riddle protecting their darkest secrets. I fucking dig this. Right, right. Oh, I mm-hmm. love it. I now, want it. this mm. theory, it didn't really come about until like the age of the internet. And it might be a little far-fetched, but captivating nonetheless. According to legend, during her time overseas... Sarah may have been inducted into La Droit Humaine, which is a French co-ed chapter of the Freemason Society. The legend claims because of her well-respected family, how smart she was, because remember she was fluent in five fucking languages, attended Yale, a college that's known for its connection to the Freemasons, that she was a shoo-in. Others speculate that her father was even inducted into the Freemasons during Sarah's childhood, which would make Sarah's membership even more likely. All of this is undocumented, of course, so we can't know for sure, but people have pointed out there are signs and clues inside of the house that point to her possible involvement. Starting at Sarah's Iron Gate, which has a symbol of a daisy in the center of a large sun. Some people theorize that this represents the two necessary qualities of a Freemason initiate, innocence and fidelity. The daisy represents innocence, and the sun symbolizes the senior deacon of a Masonic lodge who would guide the initiates throughout their journey into becoming a member. The front of the house is also between two palm trees, which allegedly represents the two pillars in front of Solomon's temple which the Freemasons' symbolism and mythology dates back to this ancient biblical temple and honors the architects who constructed it. One of the grand ballrooms is the only room in the house that was built without nails, which is a fucking feat in itself, but also another nod to Solomon's temple. And the floor in the grand ballroom is also checkered, like the floors you can find at a Masonic lodge. Another feature of the home that might have a deeper meaning is the switchback staircases that lead to the second floor. Now, this staircase has a total of seven flights, but only rows nine feet. People say this could symbolize Jacob's ladder, which had seven rungs, each rung of Jacob's ladder resembling a step closer to a higher power. And yes, you guessed it, the Freemasons frequently referenced Jacob's ladder, as their objective is total enlightenment. 
A rumor also states that when Sarah had guests, she had them enter the house at the northwest corner, which initiates were required to enter the Masonic Lodge, also by the northwest corner. People even say the house pays homage to two very popularly speculated Freemasons. You might have heard of them. Uh, William Shakespeare Mm. and Francis Bacon. In a part of the house, there is, I believe it's in the Grand Ballroom, there's a stained glass window with a winding banner, something frequently used by Francis Bacon. Reads, wide unclasp the tables of their thoughts. And on the other side, these same thoughts people this little world. Both Shakespeare quotes. Now, most people think that this is just a far-fetched theory, which I can kind of agree to that. But it's an interesting read, and I do recommend looking into it because it's just fascinating, the similarities. However, I think it is just another prime example of confirmation bias. She might have just enjoyed those two quotes from Shakespeare, and she might have just related to Francis Bacon because she had the same perspective on the afterlife as he did. Some people simply say that this house was just an architectural experiment for her applying different techniques, seeing what worked, what didn't. Others speculate that she just got caught up in building projects because it reminded her of her father in a happier time when she and her husband built their home together. Sarah never left any diaries or journals, and like I mentioned, she declined all interviews. But what we do know is that because of her decisions, Sarah stood public ridicule. People gossiped that the old lady was mad, but they never spoke about her generosity. She consistently paid three of her siblings a monthly allowance. She even helped three of her sisters settle into California as well and helped get their roots established, even purchasing a nearby ranch for one of her sisters to live on. People called her reclusive, but really she was just hiding. People called it strange that she always wore a black veil, but at the time, Sarah had lost nearly all of her teeth. And her rheumatoid arthritis already caused the four foot ten inch woman to hunch, but also caused her hands to look disfigured, so she always wore gloves. Once dubbed the Belle of New Haven because of her beauty, she was probably just sad and didn't want people to see her that way. Allegedly, when she moved into the area, a lot of local charities started getting anonymous donations that they never got before. And after Sarah's death, her workers never spoke badly about her. Even her lawyer after her death said, quote, Mrs. Winchester was all that a woman should be and nothing that a good woman should not be. If there is a heaven, there she surely must be. Oh. Mm-hmm. Close friends and workers tried to tell the press and the public about that how interesting Sarah was and what a good woman she was, but unfortunately they fell upon deaf ears. By that time, not only had everyone already made up their own assumptions about the widow, but the successful mystery house marketing from the Browns made it extremely difficult for people to think otherwise. Yeah, no one's going to buy a paper about a nice lady. No. Another theory that people have about why she built the house was just that she wanted to help the economy or give back to her workers. Oh, um, okay. I a hear lot what of mean, yeah. yeah, a lot of her workers were actually foreigners, and 
people say that she the reason why she had them working around the clock was just so they were constantly employed and they were constantly making money so that goes along i guess with her generosity anyway mary joe ignafio's uh captive of the labyrinth is the biography that she wrote about sarah it has an amazing wealth of knowledge and i highly recommend people reading it and although things are misconstrued and timelines were warped to be more interesting, the movie Winchester wasn't bad either. But hard, hard lean on the family curse about Sarah being haunted and I mean, craziness. I mean, it's a it's a thriller yeah. movie. It's just, it's not anything that people should take for historical value. It's just interesting. There are some things that hold truth to it but most not. Yeah, like there's movies it's inspired by. No reported demonic possession in the Winchester home. Yeah. In short, the legend and myths surrounding Sarah Winchester took hold and blended with the actual truth. Perhaps there really is no hidden meaning behind the house and we're all just speculating nonsense. But one thing is for sure, we'll never know the real reason why Sarah did what she did. And I think that's exactly how she would have liked it. Oh, mm-hmm. little private lady with her secrets. Yep, she's definitely a fucking Freemason then. Yeah, oh fuck fucking yeah, dude. Love secrets. Yeah, I'm all about the Freemason theory. Like, I get it; it's a little far fetched, but like, I'm all about it. Oh yeah, throwing I'm... all of my francs, my ten thousand francs, <laughs> throwing it down on this. twenty five thousand francs. <laughs> twenty five thousand francs. Go I'm... into the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing it down now. Yeah, I find the uh, the whole part about uh, like these ghosts telling her that she has to just keep building forever. I find that to be bullshit. Right. I don't fucking like it. Part of the legend and the allure, too, is that when she died in 1922, it was when the construction workers decided to take a break and stop working to Mm -hmm. play cards, and then she died. So that's obviously not confirmed, but they just say that. they never took one break? Not one person took a break? Well, they would switch. They would, like, switch up, like, if people needed to take a break. Fuck you. You can't go that long. Like, where someone's taking a Uh shit and someone else walks out. Fuck you. But then here's the thing, too, is that in Sarah Winchester's biography, Mary Jo Ignacio actually claims that there were times where, like, she would tell them to, yeah, I don't need you, and just would not do any construction on the house. Yeah, like, people have sick days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She no. would, she was, at one point, she uh, allegedly, after the earthquake, was just so freaked out because she was trapped in her house. Yeah. She bought a boat and lived on a houseboat for a couple years and didn't do any construction on the house and then came back. I saw online that it said that she lived six years on her houseboat, but I don't think that's correct. Yeah. Because... If the earthquake hit in 1906 and she lived six years, then she would go back to the house in 1912. But I I don't know. Maybe. I can't remember what the biography said, but she definitely was like, peace out and went to live on her houseboat for a little bit. Okay, so this is what I don't understand. So allegedly that contractor that was paid to like add these additional things yeah. to make it 13 no you don't even do a tour of the whole entire place because you say it's a fucking maze and like people can't like go through the whole thing and you'll yeah. get lost like then why would you add these 13 extra rooms if you aren't gonna have people go to them anyways though they are part of the rooms that they go to and then i mean i guess just I mean, I guess they don't take them to each 13 bathrooms, but it I'm just saying. helps their story out. So if someone ever was like, well, you actually don't have 13 bathrooms in there, 
But you're a liar. But definitely this dude came forth and was like, yeah, no, I added like extra chandeliers and like I definitely added hooks to equal 13 way after Sarah's death. And then they're like, yeah, there's 13 hooks here. What could it mean? Sarah must be superstitious. And like that whole uh, bullshit about her going through the house and like going through each room and like opening a window and like going down a flight of stairs and like that's all bullshit too. No yeah. one no one knows if she did that, but that's just part of the lore behind yeah. her and her house. The Winchester house might have been a maze, but you know what isn't a maze? What isn't a maze, Shelby? Go into our social media. So check out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At The Creepy Burrito. And you can leave us a sweet-ass review on iTunes or Facebook. Fucking do it. It's easy as hell. A lot easier than trying to keep building onto your house for forever until you die. Get those little sweet ass fingers a typing. You can email us at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. Or uh, slide into our DMs on mm. our Facebook. We'll message you back. Sure will. Our we're Facebook says we're very responsive to messages. Very. We're very desperate. <laughs> we're desperate please message us someone tell me something uh if you got creative names for what you guys want to be called if you got uh spooky stories share them tell we, us we love reading them we might even read them on the air who knows foreshadowing how high can i get with my voice and on this note bye bye now Like a baby. I love you. Tell me you love me. <laughs>